So this week, like I said, it is our last week in this building. And while I will not miss setup, uh, I will not miss the front door that cannot be unmanned. Um, I think it's fair to say that there are some mixed emotions as we enter these next few weeks. I, I've told you already I'm excited. I've got some fresh energy. I see a lot of potential here. Um, I think this relationship with the Boylston Church uh, could bring revitalization and new life to both of our congregations. I'm, I'm hoping for a season of fruitfulness after what has felt to me like a long season of pruning. But I also recognize there's uncertainty. There are questions that need to be answered, and we're kind of in this in-between time. We can hope, but we don't really know what God's going to do yet. That's where we are as a church, and I imagine that that's where a lot of us are as individuals as well. It's a place, let's be honest, that's a, that's a moment that we experience frequently in our lives, that moment when we're just not sure what's next. We don't know exactly what God is doing. And so that's what I want us to consider this morning. That's what we're going to talk about. How do we live in these in-between moments? As a church, as followers of Christ, what do we do when we don't have all the answers? How do we live in the face of an uncertain future? And the passage we're going to look at this morning is from a section of the story where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. If you're not familiar with the story, uh, it begins when Jesus hears that his friend Lazarus is very sick. Lazarus was uh, a member of a family that was very close to Jesus, people that he really loved. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. It was, uh, Mary and Martha were his two sisters. They were all great friends of his. And by the time he arrives on the scene, when Jesus finally gets there to meet Lazarus, Lazarus has already died. Now, we know the whole time, and Jesus knows that he's going to raise him from the dead. But nobody else in the story knows that. And so Martha, Lazarus' sister, she comes up first, and she expresses her faith. She's grieved, she's saddened, but she knows that one day everyone's going to rise again. But it never crosses her mind that maybe Jesus will raise Lazarus right now. She, can't, she doesn't conceive of such an amazing miracle. And here in the section that we're going to read, this is the moment when Jesus finally makes it up to the tomb. He reaches Lazarus' tomb, and he encounters Mary and these other people, these other Jewish people who have been mourning alongside with her. So here's the passages. It's John chapter 11. Verses 32 through 37. You can read along here. If you don't have a Bible and would like one, just grab one of these paperback ones and feel free to take it home with you. Uh, we would love everyone to have a copy of God's Word. But here's the passage. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how much he loved him. 
But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? So here's what I want us to see as we study this passage this morning. Jesus' heart is overflowing with love for his people. But our circumstances often threaten to overwhelm our faith. And finally, I want us to see that we can trust him even in the most uncertain times. Jesus' heart is overflowing with love for his people. I really like this story. I, John's description of this scene is extremely vivid. There's only a few lines, right? We just read a few verses, but in that space, there is this clear picture of exactly what's going on, right? Jesus has shown up at the tomb of his good friend. And he knows Jesus knows his plan. He knows that he's coming to raise this man again from the dead. But he doesn't show up in a celebratory mood. Jesus isn't a magician, right? He's not just a miracle worker. He's not showing up to to show off. He's not like, wait, you guys are never going to believe this big surprise, right? There's none of that. There's none of this. uh, He's not trying to draw attention to himself. The moment's a lot bigger than that. In fact, to understand just how big this moment is, you really need to read it in the context of the whole gospel. You need to know what happened in John chapter 10. In that chapter, Jesus is teaching about the reality of our world, and he says in John 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So this picture, this moment that we're studying today, is a picture of God coming face to face with his enemy. Jesus is seeing firsthand the destruction, the devastation caused by Satan, sin, and death. I think it's appropriate to imagine that that the look on his face is Something like the look of a a soldier who sees that his platoon has been gunned down. It says in verse 33, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Again, this is... We need to understand, this isn't just a heartsick person here. The emotion that that, that they're talking about, it's not just grief. This is a warrior seeing the full impact of the enemy army. The emotion here is, it's not sadness, it's anger. It's fury. This is the moment when Maximus is looking Commodus in the eye. It's when Iron Man finally sees Thanos. He is face to face with his enemy. I mean, it's impossible for us to get this idea in our heads. We really cannot fully grasp how Jesus felt in this moment. But let's try to imagine it for a moment. Try to think about what that could have been like for him. 
John chapter 1. The beginning of this book, it starts off by saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him not anything was made that was made. And then verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So John tells us that in the beginning of all things, Jesus was there. He was there making and forming the world. He created a world that was good. It was a world where men and women were created to glorify and enjoy their creator forever. But now, in John chapter 11... Here he stands, and now he's wrapped in flesh himself. And now he is on the ground, and he sees only pain and suffering in this good world he created. And do you know what else he sees around him? Unbelief. He sees a world that is at odds with its creator. He sees a place that is fundamentally not the way it's supposed to be. And he's angry. I know our translation, it says deeply moved, but, but trust me, the Greek word under there is, is angry. D.A. Carson in his commentary even says, it is inexcusable to reduce the, the impact of this word by thinking of it as something as empathy or grief. Jesus is furious. Jesus hates what sin has done to his world. And he hates what unbelief has done to us. And so in that, in that whirlwind of emotion, verse 34 says, let's get to it. Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Come and see. And Jesus wept. How can anybody read that with a cold heart? Jesus weeps for his people. When the word became flesh, that passage we just read... He didn't come down in some kind of weird God-human hybrid where he, he didn't feel the impact of the world. Jesus didn't hover above the ground. He wasn't like a robot who was cool and detached from reality. Jesus didn't relate to the world like Neo related to the Matrix, right? He wasn't some shadow that he was engaged, some meaningless shadow that he was entering into. No, Jesus, he feels every bit of our struggle. Amen. He weeps over our pain. When the author of Hebrews says we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize, this is the Jesus he has in mind. And this is the Jesus we need. 
Emmanuel, God with us. He's not a God who is far off. He has not left us as orphans. His spirit abides in us. He is with us. Do you understand what I'm saying? This means that Jesus cares about your struggles. He cares about your future. He cares about it more than you do, as a matter of fact. And just like back then, still today, Jesus is angry at sin. He is angry with Satan for the destruction he has caused in this world. He is angry with this fallen world that has stolen our faith. He's angry that you wrestle with doubt about his care for you and his power to save you and provide for you. And while he's angry at all those things, we read he also has compassion for you. He understands. He has experienced the pressures. He knows your fear when things are uncertain and when they're confusing. He knows why you're anxious. He knows why you're fearful. And he weeps for you. Even right now, right now in this very moment, he is not detached. Jesus is not somewhere far off judging you. He's not a distant spectator. No, he, his heart overflows with love for you, for us. But we need to be careful because our circumstances threaten to overwhelm our faith. I think we can all resonate with what Mary is feeling right here in verse 32. When she says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. We all find ourselves in that moment, right? When from our vantage point, we just can't understand what God's really up to. It may be Maybe right now you find yourself in a place where you just have unmet longings. Maybe you're hoping, praying for a spouse, but for some reason God just hasn't provided. Or maybe you find that your marriage is in a really difficult place and it feels like you've been stuck there for years. Or maybe there's some situation at work that just cannot get resolved or a project that you've been pouring your heart and soul into, praying that it would succeed, and it has just failed miserably. Maybe you're facing financial problems or, or health problems, or maybe there's some sin in your life that just seems to be, it has a grip on you. You feel controlled by it. And in the midst of that, we can relate to Mary's feelings. Lord, you could have prevented all of this. What gives? What's going on? Why are you letting me go through this stuff? I think we have to be honest. We all face moments where it seems like God has just ignored our desires. Where he has ignored our hopes. And it's in those moments when we have a choice. We've got the choice either to experience the true joy 
of faithful submission to him, trusting that he loves us. Or we can lash out in faithlessness, in accusation against God. And that's what's happening in this text. We've got these two groups, we've got this one group of mourners, but inside of it, there are two different responses. Verse 36, it says that the Jews said, after, after Jesus was weeping, one group of people says, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? So let's talk about this second group first. The the people who say, couldn't he have done something? What is their posture? How are these people approaching Jesus? Well, their posture is, it's arrogant. It's accusatory. Mary said something very similar, but the attitude behind it was different, right? Mary was just expressing a true fact. She knew that Jesus had the power to heal the sick, and so when he showed up, she said, Jesus, if you'd been here, you could have healed Lazarus. But this group, their posture is judgmental. They're second-guessing what Jesus has done. They aren't proclaiming Jesus' power. They're questioning it. If Jesus is so great, why is Lazarus dead? Couldn't he have kept this from happening? It reminds me of the people who, when they see on the news a story of an earthquake or a flood or some kind of natural disaster that's had a lot of damage, people who say, well, either God is impotent and he couldn't stop this, or he's evil and he just doesn't care. Because a good God would never let this happen. In that moment, when people are feeling that way, what they're doing is putting themselves in the place of a judge over God. They're saying, you know, I think I know better. Now, if we're just looking at our story, if we're just looking at John 11, these guys who say, couldn't Jesus have kept, done something if he healed the blind? Their position seems reasonable. From their vantage point, you can maybe understand why they're making those objections. It's rational. It's logical. If Jesus is so great, why doesn't he do something? But from our vantage point today, as we know what's going to happen in this story, these guys look stupid. They look like fools. They look arrogant. John has given us a gift, right? He's shown us the whole story. We know what's coming. We know that resurrection's on the way, but we also know how the story began. In the beginning of the chapter, when Jesus first finds out about the situation, he says, uh, Mary tells, or one of, a messenger says, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And when Jesus heard it, he says, this illness does not lead to death, It's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So right at the initial moment, Jesus knows that something is going to happen. He knows that, that he's going to do this great miracle. And we know, as readers, we know the outcome before the story even begins. We know that these guys who are griping and complaining, 
that Jesus doesn't have a plan, that he doesn't have the power, we know that Jesus does have both of those things. And so we can look at them, and we can look at their flawed thinking, and we say, you guys, well, you're just, you guys are acting like jerks. But if we're being honest, we are usually the ones in their shoes. We never know the outcome of our own story. We don't know what's going to happen in our current circumstances. We, we just don't know what the future holds for us. And if we're not careful, just like them, we will slip into this cycle of criticizing, of complaining, of criticizing God as if we know better what he should have done for us. It's like those Monday morning sports shows, right? That go back and look at the NFL quarterback and critique every mistake he made. Meanwhile, they've never actually played a, a single down in the NFL themselves. When we complain against God, we're in the same position. We sit and presume to know better than a holy, righteous, omnipotent, eternal, all-knowing God from our tiny little place, our small little vantage point. In our uncertainty, we are tempted to respond like this group in faithlessness. But now let's look at the first group. The people who said, see how he loved him. How do you explain those two different reactions? They're pretty different. I think the main difference between these groups is that one half, the, the second group, they were, they were focused on the circumstances. But as group one and group two, they are sitting in the exact same moment. They're both facing this very difficult reality. Group number one is just looking at Jesus. Instead of criticizing him, instead of judging him, they praise him because they're looking at Jesus and his heart. Instead of focusing on their circumstances, they see the unshakable fact of Jesus' love. They're focused on the one thing that they know is true. That's the one thing in this scene that really can't be second-guessed, right? Jesus' love. It's also the one thing in our universe that can't be second-guessed. When you see the pain in the world, when you see those stories on the news, when you see the pain in your own life and you worry that maybe God is just calloused, maybe he doesn't care about your suffering, well, here is a passage that can bring you to your senses. If God didn't care about your suffering, well, he just wouldn't have come. Jesus would not have come if God didn't care. If he didn't care about what you're going through, about the pain that you feel, he, he would not have bothered with you. But in fact, he does care. He cares more than we could ever possibly fathom. He cares so much that in this scene, the mere sight of it causes him to be overwhelmed with emotion. 
Jesus weeps for your suffering. But not only does he weep, in in a moment we're going to see that in his time, according to his plan, he rises to act. But before we get there, before we get to the acting part, I just want to point out that most of our lives, we live here. In the meantime, we live in the moment before God has resolved the problem for us. We dwell in the uncertainty, the time before he acts, the time when we are wanting resolution, we're hoping for resolution, we're praying for resolution, but we really don't know. We don't know what's coming next. And so in that moment, you've got a choice to make. You've got this choice to make. You've got to check your heart and ask, can I really trust God in this moment? Can I have faith? Or is the uncertainty of my future going to crush that faith? Is it going to pull me to be critical and anxious and complaining and fearful and unbelieving? The difference between these two groups is what they're focused on. What the difference between these two groups shows us is that you can trust God. But the only way you are going to be able to trust Him in those uncertain times is if you fix your eyes on Jesus. Not your circumstances. Not by looking at your uncertain future and fretting over it and questioning it from your limited, small vantage point in the middle of the story. But instead, by looking at Him and seeing His present, unwavering, resolutely committed love for you. Our our circumstances, they threaten to overwhelm our faith. But the love of Jesus can anchor it. And we can trust Him. Even when things are extremely uncertain. So, the group that criticized Jesus here, they're clearly on the wrong side of history. In the next few verses, the part we didn't read, we read that Jesus gets up with His blood boiling again in anger, and He confronts the great enemies of Satan's sin and death. He stands at the head of the tomb and he says, Lazarus, come out! And that same word that was there at the beginning of creation, that spoke the world into being, speaks life again into this man's body, and he walks out of the tomb. But again, I want to bring you back. Right before that moment, where these men are criticizing Jesus while he weeps. I think that is just such a powerful picture. It is a picture that that shows us just how much Jesus cares, just how much he is committed to each and every person who would come to him by faith. In this moment, right, as he's weeping, Jesus, he is overwhelmed. He's furious about the consequences of sin. He sees the pain. He sees the loss. He sees the consequence of death. And he sees the impact 
of sin on each of our souls, he realizes that these people, they're divided from each other. They are out of touch with their Heavenly Father. They don't trust Him. They don't understand His plan or His will. Even the most faithful person there, even Mary, she can't figure it out. And so Jesus, He's crying over it. And while He's crying, while our holy, loving, righteous God is crying, someone decides to mock Him for not being strong enough. While he is grappling with the devastation of the universe he created, people are standing there to kick him inside. It's disgusting. It's evil. Their arrogance, it should make you angry if you love Jesus. And then you also need to realize that's us. That's where we stand in this story. We're not the good guys. But Jesus, in that moment of extreme pain, do you see what he did? He stood up amongst the jeers, amongst the doubts, amongst the mocking of their voices. He stood up to defeat the enemy, to conquer death. And I'm not just talking about the death of Lazarus here. I mean, those people, those exact same people who were mocking Jesus, he got up with the same determination in which he commanded Lazarus out of the tomb and he went to the cross. He died on the cross for them and for you and for me, for anybody who would repent and believe in him. And so when you're tempted, in your moments of fear and anxiety and uncertainty, when you're tempted to believe that God doesn't care about your suffering, or that he isn't going to do anything about it, this passage is good news for your soul. Jesus cares more than you could ever know. He cares with his whole heart. He cared so much that he entered into your uncertainty and your suffering and your pain and died so that one day you could escape it by faith. By by Jesus' death, by his resurrection, you know what he's done? He has promised the end of our suffering. He has guaranteed our future. He has promised victory. Soon we will be in his resurrection power. Soon we will be in perfect peace together. In a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That's never at risk. Hallelujah, that's amazing. But today, we live in the in-between. If you're in Christ, you are redeemed. Your life is Secure, You are bound for glory. But we will still suffer the consequences of sin, the daily uncertainty and pain and struggle with faith that comes with living in a fallen world. And it's there. It's here in those moments where we get a chance to look at the cross 
And we can say, just like these people, see how much he loves me. Do you believe it? Do you believe that that you can trust him where you are? So over the next few weeks in our congregation, we we have an opportunity to trust Jesus. We're going to be worshiping alongside of this other congregation that's 150 years old. And some of the stuff we're going to do, especially next week when they're leading church, it's going to be different. But I want to encourage you, go into that place with eyes of faith. Trust that Jesus loves us. Remember that Jesus loves his church far more than any of us do. He cares too much to let us be cast down. And let's pray. Let's believe that resurrection life is just around the corner. Not just for our congregation, but but hopefully for theirs as well. And as we think about this passage, not just corporately, but personally, I know that this uncertainty is probably small compared to whatever you're facing in your own life. So whatever it is that you might be going through individually, I want to encourage you the same way. Fix your eyes on Jesus. In the midst of that uncertainty, see his love for you. And share, share your burden. Bring it to the church so that we can walk through it together. Let's weep together. Let's pray together. Let's see that Jesus is with us together. We can trust him. Let's see how much he loves us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are sovereign, that you are in control. We recognize that we stand in the middle of a story that you have already written from beginning to end. You know what's coming, but we don't, and we often grow impatient. Thank you, Lord, for showing us the end. Thank you for showing us that we are headed to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. But I pray you'd help us here in the meantime. Give us eyes of faith to follow you, to trust you when things are hard, when logic and reason would give us reason to complain and doubt. Lord, give us faith to believe. Father, I want to pray for the circumstances of the people in this church. I I just don't know what's going on in everyone's life, but I thank you that you do. And I ask God that they would know your presence in the midst. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.